Praise God. I love the fall. I love the fall. The fall is probably my favorite season. So I am not upset that we are moving into the fall. Change is okay, is what I heard Phil say. Things change, people change, <laughs> seasons change. But you know what remains the same? The Word of God. So grab your Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. We're rolling right through our sermon series. Just at a fast clip. It started last January, so it's been a bit. But we are studying the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, the church that he helped to start in uh, modern, or modern day and ancient uh, Greece. So if you've got a copy, turn. if you don't, there's Bibles in the seat back in front of you that look like this, and we're actually going to be on page 1019. So I'll give you a little cheat sheet there if you want to turn to 1019. We're going to be tackling the whole chapter 13 today. And uh, we've only got two more chapters after this, but we'll take a little bit of time in 1 Corinthians 15 because it's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. So I don't have a life verse, I have a life chapter, and it's chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. So we're almost there. Appreciate you sticking with us through this series. You can always go back online, either on our YouTube or our Spotify or iTunes or however you like to... If you want to catch up on the full series of 1 Corinthians, because Paul's been putting together an overarching argument about how the people of God who are gathered in the city of Corinth can and should change a few things, or maybe change a lot of things, in order to get back in step, which is our, uh, our subtitle of the series, in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. And today, we're going to actually see how that peculiar wisdom comes to its fullest in the idea of love. And so uh, today's exciting. Man, today almost preaches itself. So I do say this often. This could be a short sermon, and then it always ends up going long. But the problem is you keep inviting friends. So I, 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 I've been long here the last few weeks, last few months, but I just... It's, it seems to be enjoyable for some. So uh, today could be shorter because this almost preaches itself. It's about love. So to start, I, I want to do show you a series of three photos. Three photos. So um, these three photos brought me to tears actually this morning. Um, so throw up that first photo. Here's the first photo. Uh, I hope you can tell. Do you see the excitement on the faces of these young girls? See the excitement? Okay. What could be possibly going on? Here, show the second photo. This is my son, Grayson. Now show the third photo. Grayson <laughs> was entertaining to the max. I can't, I, I can't tell if you can tell, but he's, he's giving the old woo, and he's at a car wash. He's advertising on the street corner, bringing in the people to the car wash, yelling at the people that did not turn into the car wash. And to be honest, this morning, I was just looking through these photos again that Allie sent me, and I just started, I started laughing, and then the laughter turned to real tears, like streaming down my face. Because I was like, that's my son. That's my son. And he's got my image, right? He's got that thing. <laughs> he's got that thing. And I don't always see it. And, and to see it brought so much joy to me that I just, I wept. And I think that's what this passage is about. 
God is a God of love. And when we love, I think God weeps tears of joy. Because he's created each of us in his image. We are his sons and daughters. He has put into us the ability to love like he loves. And when he sees us expressing that love in the world, it brings him great joy. It brings him glory. And it's for our good. So that's what this passage is all about. Some of you are going to be really disappointed because the only time you've ever heard this passage is at weddings. And you thought it was about marriage. (laughs) This has nothing to do with marriage. Spoiler alert. I mean, it does because love is important in marriage. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about using our spiritual gifts in love or with love And if we don't use our gifts, even if they were gifts given by him, if we don't use them in love, they're worthless. That's what this passage is all about. I will send anybody who wants that photo. (laughs) That photo. I just love that photo. So last week, just a quick recap because remember we said Paul's actually in a three chapter argument <laughs> he's, he's using three chapters to argue one main point and the main point is this the Corinthian church seems to have elevated certain spiritual gifts the more charismatic or supernatural gifts over and above every other gift and so people who had the more supernatural gifts were sort of put into positions of leadership and positions of power. And everybody else was sort of seen as second-class Christians. Oh, those are the spiritual ones, the holy ones. And Paul says, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous, he says. That is not what's going on. And so we said last week, he has to teach us four foundational truths that clearly the Corinthians didn't know or had forgotten in order to make his argument that no particular gift is over and above any other gift. And those four foundational truths are, one, be careful, there are other spiritual forces in the world. So someone may have expressed spiritual power, and it may not be the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it the Holy Spirit, because there's other spiritual powers in the world. And in Corinth, there was just a, a ton of other religions, other idols that were worshipped, other Greek gods... Then the Roman pantheon had come in, and so there was just temples everywhere. There were spiritual forces at play. And Paul's like, hey, just because someone shows spiritual power doesn't necessarily mean they have the Spirit of God. So be careful. So that's the first truth. The second truth we said is there's a variety of gifts given by God. And the list that Paul gives, you go back and listen to it from last week, isn't comprehensive. He gives some examples, but there's a variety of gifts all given from God, but there's only one Holy Spirit. So the same Spirit that gives you the gift of prophecy is the same Spirit that gives you the gift of administration, or the gift of helps, or the gift of teaching. So it's the same Spirit. So if we go grading or ranking or valuing the gifts, it's ridiculous, Paul says. It's the same Spirit. The third foundational truth was that the church is one body. We are the body of Christ with many members. So we don't lose our individuality, 
but we also aren't completely independent. We're part of one body. We need. The hand needs the foot, and the foot needs the hand, and the eye needs the toe, and, and all, all the above. We need everyone exercising what part of the body they are for the body to thrive. And then we said the fourth truth, and that's the truth we're going to be locking in on today, is that love is greater than any gift. It's greater than any gift and any expression of any gift. And if we forget that, Paul says, this is what leads us into this weird hierarchical ranking of gifts and value. And it's just utterly ridiculous, he, he's, he's saying. And he's saying it in love, by the way. He's just trying to remind them. So when we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we said this last week, that we deserve nothing from God. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve any gift. But while we were still rebelling against God, choosing ourselves over God, loving our sin more than God, God, in his mercy and grace, chose us and loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us before we ever even accepted him. And then he sent the Spirit to us, even while we were in our selfishness, to restore us and give us, us gifts. So that's the gospel. And so what we said last week is, therefore, if we understand the gospel, it's crazy to think that we would ever look down on anyone's gift or hate the gift that we have or covet somebody else's gift or hide behind someone's gift, not use our gift, because God gives gifts when we don't deserve it. If you've ever met a child who doesn't get gifts on Christmas, you give them anything, and they look at you with eyes of gratefulness and thanksgiving. And you're thinking in your head, if they knew the kind of gifts I gave my kids, right? We should be like the kids who's never gotten a gift. We don't deserve. So we thank God. We use our gift. We don't covet others. And we don't hide behind someone's gift. So now today, Paul is going to give us the last foundational truth. And that is that all of it is rubbish without love. In order, as Paul will say, in order to make his full argument, which is we need to have orderly worship and start, stop trying to outdo each other when we gather together, in order to have orderly worship that gives glory to God and doesn't distract the newcomer, we need to understand that love is underneath it all, moving it forward. So if we have not love, we have nothing. So that's what this wedding verse is all about. <laughs> using your gifts properly. So I'm going to read it, but I want to turn back just to remind us, kind of as we're getting near the end of the letter, remember this is one letter. So go all the way back to chapter 1, the very beginning of Paul's argument or letter to the Corinthians. In verse 7, he says something really important. He starts off, and, and we titled this sermon... Uh, compliment sandwich, 
because Paul starts his letter saying amazing things to the Corinthians. Then he's going to give them the meat, and the meat's tough to to take. (laughs) And then he's going to finish strong with a compliment about how much he loves them. Um, But he starts this way. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says this. I'll actually start in 6. He says, In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. He's saying, You have received the Holy Spirit. The testimony of Christ is true. God sent his Spirit to you. Verse 7, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this chapter 1 truth is going to come back up again in, in chapter 13. So Paul's telling them, hey guys, yeah, you've kind of gone astray. You're no longer totally in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ. But remember, you have the Holy Spirit. You've received salvation. The Spirit was within you. He's given you every gift. The body is full of every good gift that you need to thrive as the people of God. And you should use those gifts as you eagerly await the Lord Jesus Christ to return. The great promise is that Christ, having died, rose from the grave in bodily form, and then he ascended into heaven so that he could send the Spirit and disperse his power throughout the world until one day he'd come back again, take back his kingdom in full, and rule and reign as he puts all things back together. So that's what they're talking about. Use the gifts he's given you until, as we eagerly await Christ to return. So I want you to hear that as we read now Paul in chapter 13. So I'm actually going to start in verse 12, the very last uh, verse in chapter 12, just to give us the flow of Paul's thoughts. So he's just said that, you know, we all have different gifts and we need to use our gifts and, and not elevate any gift above. And then he goes on to say in chapter 12, verse 31, but desire the greater gifts, which we said last week were the, less not- the least noticeable gifts or the least sort of naturally honored, so not the s- people on the stage kind of gifts. Desire those gifts. Those are greater gifts. And then he says, and I will show you an even better way. I will show you an even better way. He's saying, I will model for you. Paul will say in other places, he has been given many spiritual gifts. But he's like, I'm going to model for you, even if you have the more supernatural gifts. Paul could heal. He had the gift of prophecy. He could speak in tongues. He could do all the gifts, or almost all the gifts. And yet he says, I'm going to show you an even better way. What's the better way? Chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, I actually think the better translation, in order to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. 
It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that's Jesus, when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then, face to face, what's he talking about? Face to face, we will see God. We will know truth. Now, I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain. So even when the perfect one comes, in the end, three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Um, what an amazing verse. And now you see it in its context. And of course it has ramifications for marriage. If you were to love like this, you would be loving like God. So of course that would make for a pretty darn good marriage. But Paul is talking about the church and the body of Christ and using our spiritual gifts to bless one another in the family of God. Whether you're married or not married, all of us are called to love like this. In what? In how we express our spiritual gifts. That's the context. So he starts off, verse 1, If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, even if you have a spiritual gift, and you use it, but you're not using it in the power of the love that God has given you, you produce nothing of value. Whoa, nothing of value? What do you say? Nothing of value. Yes, you make noise, but it's not valuable noise. It's just noise. So you're using the spiritual power that God has given you, the gifting, which often includes some sort of natural gifting infused with the Spirit, and you're just making noise that doesn't help anyone. So you produce nothing of value. I was thinking of the game, uh, anybody play the game Cranium? Remember the game Cranium? It's like sort of Pictionary Plus. It's got, you know, other challenges besides Pictionary, molding clay, those sorts of things. There's a challenge that's like the humming music challenge, where it gives you a song and you have to try to hum it, and they have to guess it. Have you ever played this? You know how you think <laughs> in your head you're humming it perfectly? <laughs> and you're looking at them, you're like, how come you can't get it? That's what Paul's talking about. You think you're doing something so special and that you've got the tune and the melody's going and everyone's looking at you like. I mean, I remember, I, I, Allie almost broke up with me because I looked at her like this. I was so sure I was doing it right. I was like, it's clear. It's beautiful. I was probably even doing little dance moves in there. I was like, salsa? No. I mean, this is what he's talking about. Sure, noise is coming out of your mouth. 
but it'll make no sense to nobody, and you're going to lose the game. So you produce nothing of value. Then look what he says in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, how great would that be? And if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Whoa. Now we're getting personal. Not only do you not produce anything of value, but Paul says you are nothing. From dust you were born, and to dust you will die. You are nothing without love. That's intense. You produce nothing, you are nothing. And the third thing he says is that you will gain nothing. Verse 3, and if I give away all my possessions, think of the rich young ruler, Jesus a young man comes to Jesus, like a prince or something, and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, all you have to do is give away everything you own. And he says, I can't do it. So Paul says, even if he said he could do it, and he gave away everything because he was very wealthy, Paul says, if he didn't have love, he would gain nothing. Whoa. So if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast. Now, the word boast actually in the Greek, there's two variants. Meaning so the way, there's no photocopying back in the day. So scribes would write and rewrite all of these letters. Do you think these are valuable? They're important? They're rewrite, rewrite. And over the centuries they'd rewrite. Now there's two variants. And the first variant translates to to boast and in the Greek there's one letter difference that means doesn't mean boast it means burned up so you can see how like a uh, the scribes would be kind of confused like this is intense <laughs> even if I give my body to be burned up so somebody at some point took out one letter let's say to boast <laughs> so we're not sure actually which of the words I would be honest with that we don't know which is the right translation but both work I think probably Paul, because he's going to talk about this else in, in other places, Paul has been given up to beasts in Ephesus. He's been put in stadiums to, to fight wild beasts, as many Christians were. I think Paul's saying, even if I give my body over as a martyr, and I'm burned at the stake like you know many of your brothers and sisters have, even if I do that, even if I do that, die the worst possible death for the name of Jesus but I don't have love, I gain nothing. No eternal life, no forgiveness of sin. And you're saying, what? Even if you let your body be burned for the cause? Yep, if you don't have love. Whoa. Why? <laughs> Why is this? Why am I nothing if I don't have love? What do I gain nothing if I don't have love? Why do I produce nothing of value if I don't have love? Because, because God is love. First John tells us, God is love. Therefore, channeling our Descartes, our philosophy class, if you ever took it, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. 
The Apostle Paul would say, I love, therefore I am. To be and to be in the image of God is to love as your creator God loves. So to fail to love is to fail to be. Without love, I am nothing, Paul says. Loving is equal to being. The one who loves is. <laughs> I can't drive it home. So let's, uh, how can I drive it home? Scripture helps me drive it home. First John, I'm going to read you a bunch from First John, because First John's loaded with God is love. First John 4, 16 to 21, that's what I'll read first. It says this. We'll throw it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. It says, God is love. The one who remains in love remains in God. So this is the Apostle John saying the same thing that Paul's saying. And God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. You see that? When you are filled with the love of God and you therefore can express it, you know God is with you, therefore you don't fear his coming again because you know he is with you. He is in you. But if love doesn't come out of you, you should have some fear if God is in you. You see the argument? Um, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So this isn't something we generate on our own. It's something we receive and therefore reflect. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has, uh, has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. So how do we know that we love God? We love God's children, our brothers and sisters in the church. And we have this command from him. It's from Jesus. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So you see that? Even if you gave your body up to be burned for the cause of Christ and his church, but you have not love, you prove that God is not with you. This is, this is serious. Jesus says the same thing. You can go around and do all sorts of things in my name, Jesus says. You can heal people, cast out demons in my name. And you might come to the end when I return, when the perfect one comes back, and I might say to you, I don't know you. Why? Because you didn't exercise those gifts, those powers in love, but either in selfishness or arrogance or trying to save yourself instead of falling upon the grace of God to save you. This is, this is tough stuff. Okay. So, because these are hard words, I am nothing, I gain nothing, I produce nothing without love, you all want to know, how do I know what kind of love this is? How, how, what is this love? So there's three, or, or sorry, four Greek words for love. Agape, eros, 
philo and storgi. Storgi is like familial love. It's like how you love your dog, right? Just love being around. Philo is brotherly love. Philadelphia, brotherly love, cream cheese. I love cream cheese. Cream cheese is so good, isn't it? Don't tell, don't, like, just take the nutritional uh, label off of that. It's so good. God wants you to eat cream cheese. Okay. Philo, love. So this is brotherly love. This is like the love you have for siblings or best friend or something like this. Eros, you know what this is? Erotic comes from eros. So this is romantic love. This is like the love you have for uh, someone who you're romantically attracted to. And these are all part of God's good creation, these types of love. But agape love is a different kind of love. It's a kind of love that God has for us. So whenever the Bible talks about God is love, like in 1 John and in chapter 13, he uses nine times the word agape. So agape is God's love. Now why does why do all the authors use this love? Because this love is not a feeling. This isn't like a feeling you get when your dog comes around you. This isn't like a feeling you get when you're with a best friend. This isn't like a feeling you get when you're with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. This is a different, non-feeling kind of love. This is a love that transcends feeling. So, an excellent encapsulation of of this portrait of love that Paul gives here in in chapter 13 uh, comes from a missionary named Richard Walker, who's a missionary to the upper Amazon basin in Brazil. He describes agape like this. He says, It's the unsolicited giving of the very best you have on behalf of another, regardless of response. Isn't that beautiful? Let me read it again. The unsolicited. So you didn't do it because somebody asked you to do it. God didn't love us because we asked him. He loved us before we asked. The unsolicited giving of the very best you have What's the very best God has? His only begotten Son. Himself. On behalf of another. Who's the another? It's us. Sinners. Rebels. Blasphemers. Haters of God. On behalf of us, he gave his very best, unsolicited, regardless of response. Guess what? If you don't give anything back to Jesus, if you don't give him the breath from your lungs to praise his name, if you don't give him the gifts he's given you back to celebrate him and expand his kingdom and help others as he helped us, if you give nothing in response, guess what still happened? He gave himself for you, regardless of your response. Pause. Do you love like this? Do I love like this? A guy named Vander Brook describes agape like this. He says, love becomes a way of battling a world still filled with sin. It is something we do for others in spite of who they are and in spite of our feelings about them. 
That's agape. So Paul continues, and he answers his rhetorical question. It says, I love like this. I love you Corinthians like this. And he says, do you love like this? And really he's pointing to those leaders, probably, who were elevating themselves over because they had certain spiritual gifts, supernatural expressions as better than. He says, do your leaders love like this? And then he goes into this long list of what love is. So let's read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So he's saying, look at when you express your spiritual gift, or when those people who you are blindly following, who as we've learned from previous chapters, are teaching untrue things about God and untrue things about the church, do they love like this? Are they patient with you? Are they kind to you? Do they envy you? Are they boastful? Are they arrogant? Are they rude? Are they self-seeking? Are they irritable? Do they keep records of your wrongs and use them against you? Do they enjoy unrighteousness or seem to be unbothered by it? Or do they rejoice in the truth? Do they only bear some things? Do they only believe certain things? Do they only hope in certain things? Do they not endure certain things? The bottom line here is Paul is clearly pointing out some leaders that he knows, that he probably led to Christ, that have risen to prominence in the Corinthian church that are teaching all these unbiblical things or unpauline things, these things that are contrary to what Paul taught. And Paul's saying, look at me. Look how I love. And, and you know I have these spiritual gifts, but I lead with love. Love is how I do everything. I'm patient with you. I'm kind. I don't envy you. I'm not boastful or arrogant or rude or self-seeking. I'm not irritable because love is the greatest thing. He said, I give all the gifts that I have away to make sure I lead with love. Do your leaders do that, Paul's saying? Or have they elevated themselves because of their gifts? Paul's really saying, stop following those people. They've got it wrong. They don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done. Listen, there, I thought of it this week. And this can happen to any of us, so I don't want you to hear me now picking on another leader. I'm just using it as an example. In this city, not long ago, there was a preacher who had an incredible gift from God. He, had a, he, could, he could preach a message of knowledge. And he garnered huge following all over the world really people all over the world would download his sermons and podcasts and um, at one point he had 15 campuses in the Seattle area the guy had a gift he had a real gift it was a gift from God but as you reflect upon it and I have to be honest I didn't reflect like Paul tells us to reflect I couldn't answer a single one of these in the affirmative was he patient? no was he kind? no did he envy? Yes. Was he boastful? That's what we liked about him. 
Was he arrogant? Yeah. Was he rude? As rude as you could get for a preacher. Was he self-seeking? Yeah. Was he irritable? Uh Uh-huh. Did he keep records of wrongs? Oh, yeah. Did he enjoy unrighteousness? Maybe. Pride seemed to be something he reveled in. And I say all this to say, it can be so easy when someone has an amazing gift. And this, this man had an amazing gift. And he still does. But he refuses to lead with love. And guess what happened to his church? It blew up. I think God blew it up. Because he said, you know what? No gain. You are nothing if you do not have love. That's right here. That's the spiritual ground we walk on. That we elevated someone with a really spectacular gift, but did not have love. At least not in the latter days of his ministry. Paul wants to help us not fall into that trap. God wants to help us not fall into that trap. Because guess how many times we've fallen into that trap? A million plus. (laughs) Time and time again. We elevate, elevate certain gifts over and above the rest, and it ends up crashing down on our head. Now there's three really interesting things that he finishes his list with. Did you notice those? It's almost sort of strange. Uh, Some of you might have said, I don't really like that. (laughs) He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And you're like, wait a minute. That just seems uh, being, like being naive, being a pushover, getting knocked around, being a bit gullible, being a glutton for punishment. Is that what Jesus is calling us to? The answer is no. Here's what he means by this. He's saying, listen, Love, when you have it, when you lead with it, love never stops, okay? You don't, like, run out of it, is what he's saying. What he's saying is that this kind of agape love, if it's from God, you will be able to love continually. Not just when things are going well, but every morning what's new God's mercy and His grace. So even if you have a bad day of loving, the next day you've got new love. And the choice is there to use it. So if you have the love of God, it never runs out. It's a a bottomless pit. You can't get to the bottom of it. you never like, you know what? There's no more, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to treat you rudely. I'm going to have to treat you unkindly. No, the love just keeps coming. There's no limits to it. It never tires of support. It never loses faith. It never exhausts hope. It never gives up. This is the kind of love that God has for us. And when we have it, we have it for others. So if you feel like your love is like, I can only, like, I can only love for like 20 minutes and, and then I got to either leave or else I'm going to say something mean, that's probably not the love of God. Or if you're like only loving on like two days of the week and then the rest of the days of the week, you're kind of rude, that's probably not God's love. Because his love is endless. It refreshes every day. Doesn't mean you won't have bad days. You're not perfect. You're not the perfect one, okay? 
We're waiting for him to come. He's come once and he's coming again. But when we become more like him, we find our reservoir, we're tapping into something that's endless. Even while we stand up for the truth. So I just wanted to say about this kind of love, I hope it's becoming clear, this is not the same kind of love that the world talks about when the world talks about love. Um, When we talk about the love of the world, I think the love of the world has sort of limits to it. The love of the world doesn't hate unrighteousness and love truth. I mean, that's on all spectrums of our world. What do we celebrate sometimes? We celebrate politicians who are rude and arrogant in their discourse. That's not love. We celebrate sexual freedoms and promiscuity and that is untrue to the nature of who God's made us to be. That is not love. And so, in so many ways, and I could just go on and on, we celebrate love that is not agape love. It's not God's love. And so, as the people of God, we need to touch true love. We need to swim in true love so that we might teach the world what real love is. If we don't do that, we'll begin to look like the world and love like the world and elevate leaders that love like the world instead of leaders that love like Jesus. Look at verse 10. Paul says this. Sorry, verse 9. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for the gift of tongues, that will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So we live in this partial, already Jesus has come, but not yet he has come in full. But when the perfect one comes, Jesus, you know what? We won't have need of these certain spiritual gifts. We don't need them anymore. The kingdom will come in full. The spiritual gifts are given for in the in-between of Jesus' ascension and his second coming. And so we need these spiritual gifts to move the kingdom forward, present the gospel that people might consider it and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God gives us the spiritual gifts. When he comes again, he'll be right there face to face. We don't need them. So don't worship the things that are partial or the things that will come to an end. Worship the thing that is eternal and everlasting, and that's God who is love, personified in the person of Jesus. Love became flesh. That's what Paul's saying. Don't get mixed up here, he's saying. Don't celebrate any gift. Celebrate love, which comes from God. So then he goes on to say these fun things about children, which are just, you know, you don't generally want to just helicopter in and pick out verses and teach them to your kids. This is a great one to teach your kids. (laughs) You know, like, listen, clearly thinking like a child, being like a child, time to grow up here. (laughs) You know, you can do that. But Paul's talking to us. He's saying, all you people who think you're so grown up, you're thinking like children. You need to stop thinking like children and think like adults. And understand that you have put things out of order. That you've downgraded love and elevated spiritual gifts. You're thinking backwards. And why is that? Because children get distracted with shiny things. That's just the truth of it. 
We get distracted by shiny things. And so certain spiritual gifts are really shiny. They look really cool. Oh, it'd be great. Like no kid ever says, I want the gift of administration when I grow up. They want to be able to heal people on the spot. Boom. Fixed you. That's what a kid would want. And Paul says, see, that's how children think. Children want to be superheroes. Jesus, the superhero, became a carpenter from Nazareth. You see, you got it totally backwards, people. God, who could do all things, became a man who was limited so that he could show you what love looked like. You see it? <laughs> we want to be like Jesus or superhero. That's kind of the choice. Children always pick superhero. People who are mature in the face pick Jesus. So he says, you know, I love this verse. It's like, listen, this is hard stuff to understand. It's peculiar wisdom, right? It's hard to understand. So he has, it's okay. We're looking at this thing as in a mirror. Now, back in the day, they didn't have mirrors like we have now. Mirrors for them were like a piece of bronze that they shined up real good. So imagine looking at your best plate and trying to see yourself. It's hard. The reflections are not perfect, right? So Paul's saying, like, I get this is hard, guys. This is why. It's, ho- it's hard to see it clearly. This is why. In the end, always default to love. And if the person that you're elevating or that you're following is not known for love, just be very careful. Because you're looking at a, at, a, at a shined up piece of bronze here. It's hard to see. But you can tell love. You feel love. Because it's the same thing you felt when you heard the gospel. That there was a God who loved you. You get that same feeling when you hang out with this person. Or you sit under their teaching. Or you hear them play music. or Whatever the gift may be. You can always trust that, Paul's saying. The other stuff's hard to tell. Hard to discern. He's like, I get it. It's hard. I understand. But just remember, love is at the base of everything that's from God. So he finishes with these these great uh, final three things. He says, verse 13, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He's saying, listen, when Christ comes back, when he establishes his eternal kingdom, when he restores all things, and puts all things back in order again. All the, most of, all the spiritual gifts will be gone. We don't need those in the way we did. But these three will remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith. Isn't that great? It's not like when we get to heaven and the new heavens and the new earth that we don't have faith. Because faith is really trusting someone. You're, the feel, you know that feeling of, like, I have faith in this person. Just how, how like, amazing that is. So that's not going to go away. Hope's not going to go away. You say, what do I need to hope for? Jesus is here. No, no, no. Hope is that exhilarating anticipation of what's to come. That's not going to go away. Listen, heaven is way better than you think it is. There'll be faith, trusting relationships. There'll be hope, anticipating what could the future hold. And love. Love like you've never experienced. Love that is not distracted by the shiny things. Love that hits you straight face to face. And you know that you're valuable. You know that you're cared for. You know that God loves you. You only, you only feel those things in part now. Imagine feeling them in full. That's what we have to look forward to. I just, 
Ryan and I were talking about this week. I just feel like you guys aren't as excited as you should be about the coming of Jesus, about the kingdom he's bringing, about the new heavens and the new earth. It's not just like a little bit better. It's so much better. Faith, love, and hope. And of the greatest of these is love. How do I get you excited about this? How do I get you to share this? I've got an idea. (laughs) I'm going to reread this passage about love. And I want you to picture Jesus hanging on the cross for you. And if you don't love yourself enough, because I struggle sometimes to think I deserve it, think about someone you love. Think about your spouse. Think about your brother, your sister. Think about your best friend. And think about Jesus, regardless of their response, hanging on a tree for them. So I want to read this again to you. Jesus is love. Jesus on the cross is the pinnacle of that love. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Christ bears all things. Christ believes all things. Christ hopes all things. Christ endured all things for you.